all, we're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Landon Miller, you're here. Good morning. We're going to stick to coffee. Stick to coffee. Stick to coffee today. Um, we've just had a long discussion about music, which we're not going to talk we're about anymore, talk or about else music, we'll be no. here for a really long time. That's right. Okay. Um, so you're, where are you from? I'm from Shreveport. Born and raised. Here, born and raised. Okay. Yeah. My family is from Oklahoma and California, but Air Force Brace. Air Force Base brought my dad here, and so I am, I guess, first-generation native. Um, but yeah, I went to Eden Gardens, mm-hmm. Middle Magnet, Magnet High, and then also Bibsy and LSUS. Okay. So I feel like I've, I don't know if that's a, com- if there's some completion at the end of doing all those, but. I mean, did you, did you graduate from mm-hmm. one of those schools? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, I, just mean, I feel like I've done the gamut. I even DJed at the, uh, at Centenary for a while, so. Okay, at the radio station. Yeah, I, I, what is going on with that place? We've uh, already deviated from we've coffee already deviated to music. To um, <laughs> but uh, I would, I wish that we could get some people to just say, like, all right, that's it. We're going over there, yeah. and we're gonna we're do a show once a week. I, I just want to play really old funk music for one hour and just do it. I think it would be oh, really yeah, great. That. Um, that's a dream that can come true. I mean, right? It's it's there. Like they already have the. All you have to do is really influence the general rotation, like change their playlist, and then you can have it for like five years because they're sure not going to update it. I mean, it's like I I feel like it could be anyway. So, um, (laughs) so coffee. So, well, back like you were. Were you born here? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're born here. You've been here, and then you. What was your first coffee job? Uh, my first coffee job was Starbucks. Okay. Um, before we ever... About what year was think that? Think about that. I guess it'd probably be like 2009, maybe. Okay. Uh, and that was that was the coffee days, scene... Early days of Starbucks. So before... Um, I, I, I loved cafes because when I was a, you know, coming up in Shreveport, it was uh, Yuri's was the one, was the first one that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a few others in the neighborhood closer to like Highland that were going on, but Yuri's is the one I went to and it's right in front of where Best Buy is now. Okay. Before there was a, a Starbucks on Yuri Drive, yep. this place, Yuri's was there, it's spelled differently. Yeah. Um, but it was just a gathering place for, you know, exactly what the cafe does now, just scale it back then. Um, it was small, but it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me because I was allowed to go there and there was only church and school and, you know, the park, or you could go to the coffee shop, and that was awesome. We'd go play chess, and you know, feel like we really had a spot. So, set, what's the scene in in Yuri's when you're there? In there's Yuri's, chess, there's coffee, see. yeah, yeah, and there's, um, you know, it's mostly blended frappuccino type drinks okay. that, that I feel like everybody was interested. in. It wasn't yeah. like, and it, the excitement was not about the coffee bean itself. It, it was, was more about the, the fancy the cafe, yeah. And there's a patio, uh, and so you could sit out there and run into people. A lot of the same folks that were going to shows were going there. And so it was like, you know, just a meeting place that besides Taco Bell parking lot right. where we could actually go do something. Right. 
and so I, I, I guess that's what attracted me to, wow, the coffee shop's so interesting. And we played shows back then. I remember me and Dylan LeBlanc splitting shows at Yuri's. And so I'm, there, there was music at Yuri's? Yeah, there was okay. music. Right. That was one of the only places that allowed that stuff that I remember besides, you know, some of the dedicated music venues that people would yeah, like, but those were mostly like bars and stuff. Well, no, at, at the time now you're trying to get back on music. I, I, yeah, but you're right. There were, there were DIY spaces and things going on at that time. But Yuri's was a coffee, the first coffee shop I had seen shows at. Okay. So it's not to say it had not happened before, but just as a young guy, this was where I was like, Oh, there's stuff going on. They let me play there. So it was right. a big deal. Um, it was the first place I could invite people to come see me, I guess. Yeah. Besides just like soundstage or something. It was the first place my parents came to see me. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? I feel like. Right. But uh, anyway, it's an important place. And uh, and then so whenever I was going to college, I got hired at Starbucks. Um, and I'd worked a few other places. Um, you know, I was working at the Robinson Film Center around that time, too. It, was, it had opened recently. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always worked multiple jobs. But coffee, I feel like, is what um, has allowed that to be consistent. Is it because it's flexible too, you know? Right. And so Starbucks was newish, you know, to the to the area, and was really awesome to me. Like it's easy to kind of look down on Starbucks now, but at the time, like the Starbucks didn't work in my grandma's town. Like they had to close it, you know. So the fact that we had a place. Wow, failing Starbucks. Oh, that's oh, and that's happening. I mean, yeah. you know, not everywhere, not everywhere. Supports it, and, and especially whenever it was taken over from coffee was something you did at your house to something you did somewhere else. Right. That that uh, mindset did not translate everywhere. So the fact that Shreveport Bossier had several Starbucks to me was a big deal, you know. And then, then they opened the Line Avenue one, yeah. which was like, wait, there's well, a huge patio and there's not even a drive-through. And it, was the where was the, which one did you work at? Which Starbucks? I worked at several of them. Uh, I worked at the one on Airline and Twenty. Uh, okay. So, you know, in Bozier, yep. I did stuff at Line Avenue okay. and uh, ended up at Burt Coons. Okay. All right. Um, but that's all, you know, it's all kind of connected. It's one business. Like you share supplies between stores and it's a general type of mindset. But what that introduced was, hey, the coffee shop is a place you can, everyone can come to. Right. You know, like that it's open to all folks. Mm-hmm. And that sounds simple, but before that, there wasn't a place like that, you know. You might go drink if you wanted to go get together. You might go to IHOP or something, or you know, one of the or one of the diners. But right. you know, it did. And Yuri's closed, by the way. Yeah, you know, and other places closed. Courtyard Coffee opened and closed. There was a like place that. right there by Bird. Oh yeah, you're talking um, about the Naked Bean. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, I remember. Yeah. I came through town. Uh, I was doing some project they had three here. Locations. They and moved around. Did they? Mm-hmm. Okay. And who was that? Like a coffee person, or that was just somebody who was running a business? That was that was a person who wanted to have her own cafe. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a roasting initiative or necessarily a quality seeking thing as much as just a environment for. Right. Her. And that was kind of that was by the time it was like, oh, Starbucks is the big guy now. Right. And right. so we we need our own coffee shop, you know. And so that was sort of a a place in is an always like a Highland kind of crowd there. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know, it's an interesting, almost a different type of business. Okay. Than, than a, because it just wasn't a high traffic cafe. Yeah. I, I um, had come through and I was staying. Kind and they of did shows down. there too. Yeah. It seemed like that's yeah. when I, whenever I went in there originally, it was, um, I, I believe they have like 
it seemed like maybe a little stage or something kind of in that mm-hmm. back corner. Anyway, you're talking about you're talking about right by bird. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, that was their second location. Okay, they, they ended up moving one more time after that. Okay. Um, so anyway, you're at Starbucks. Yeah, at Starbucks. And then well, it's important that so like the naked bean and stuff was going on while I was working at Starbucks. So yeah. it was kind of a interesting time, you know. And that's when Kern. I don't know exactly when Kern came around and started roasting, but he was the first person I knew um, to be just just hustling bags himself and bringing in coffee to the region that no one was ordering before, no one was trying to roast before, and he got a lot of folks excited about it. Yeah, and, you know, before that it was oh I just go to the coffee shop, but then in our area Kern and John Mackey and a few people um, kind of brought the idea of micro roasting and and actually having their own personal touch and things that they're curating that's not just for a business, but it's about the coffee. Right. And when I when I discovered that, it really blew my mind, like Kern selling coffee at the farmer's market. Because I had this idea that people don't just want coffee, they want the cafe experience. Because Starbucks, that's what they sell. You know, they don't sell the coffee. Yeah. They sell the experience of the cafe. And, uh, and so, and, and actually a lot of it's driving towards syrups and milks and things that are higher tickets and, you know, um, food and it's, it's more than just the coffee. And so there started to be a, you know, a, a trending towards, okay, well, people actually are paying attention and appreciating this stuff and there's more to be had and you can get something kind of good. And around that time I was working at Starbucks, um, on Burke Coons and it wasn't bad. You know, it's, it was a fine, fine experience, but I heard about this place Rhino is opening mm-hmm. and, few of my friends were going to be working there and it was one of the guys that went to magnet with us mm-hmm. and you know kind of like a this ex, it was like the first it was the first time i heard about something that wasn't just a a person that kind of wanted to have their own place but weren't but but a real coffee shop that was going to attempt to really push some stuff and you know have some have pursue some quality and that kind of thing right like coffee was important to the yeah. thing as well as the and it was experience. Just a, and, and it was a, an all-in type of deal. Not The coffee shops up to then, Yuri's and Courtyard and Naked Bean and a f- few of the others, to me, were personal ventures that were for, you know, for the, the owner to have the experience of having the cafe. Right. And there was money coming from other places, too. Um, you know, so it wasn't necessarily live or die about this coffee shop. And neither is Rhino, but it definitely employed a lot of people in a in a in a time when Starbucks was the only only people really offering jobs, jobs, jobs. Right. Um, but and that's and that, from my understanding, Starbucks is a good job. Oh, it's like, great. Like there's they, nothing wrong there's with it. Benefits yeah. to it. It's. I defend Starbucks. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. about Starbucks. I'm about anybody that is, you know, serving a coffee need in a community is. I'm all for it. And you and you've been able to see from a young age the yeah. the benefits. I remember before Starbucks, yeah. and it wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I met my wife; she was working at Courtyard Coffee. Okay. You know? So, all right. like, it's there's a lot of it that builds up. And so when we've Rhino, we opened in 2012, so it's been like seven years, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot to have seen that has evolved since then, also. You know, is what's and were like you started working there when they opened mm-hmm. or, or shortly yeah, thereafter? Uh, within the first month. Okay. Yeah. And then you still currently work there? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, my evolution was um, I worked at the, you know, the we opened the Southfield location right. first, and I was there for, I guess, like 
four, four or five years, somewhere around there, just dedicated to there. I also worked at the Robinson Film Center at the time. I worked at the Horseshoe Casino, Riverdome. And so I was doing a lot of things kind of simultaneously. The early days was I was a barista. Right. And it was just, you know, a part-time thing on the side while I also did music. Right. And it was a lot better than Starbucks for me because it was a small business and we got to innovate. Yeah. Um, but it still wasn't about the coffee yet. Right. You know, in our early years, we were getting uh, from Progress okay. Roasters, yep. which are in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, our owner was inspired by a lot of the Texas coffee scene. And uh, so that our model was kind of similar to that. Uh, but that still is a cafe experience. I mean, if you've been to Rhino, it's like, a, you know, there's courtyards and lots of rooms and you can spread out. And plenty of people are coming there just to eat. And it's not always about, you know, the beverages. Right. But then we hired John Mackey, uh, who had been a roaster before. He actually used to have a coffee company called Heliopolis okay. long before the uh, publication was called that. Right. And he he came on the Rhino team to start roasting for us instead of, so it was for the first time, that's the first time in my history that it was like, okay, now here's a person that's actually roasting all of the stuff that one place is using, uh, which is a pretty big step. Right. Poor coffee scene. Um and it was, you know, poor John, like the machine he started on that he got, it was like upstairs and it was way too small for the amount of stuff that he was having to put out. Right. And he was up, I mean, it was like a 60 hour week he did one week just to get our one cafe is what we needed, you know, and that's a lot of intense <laughs> concentration yeah. right. for 60 hours of it. Yeah. But enough time went by and he established and kind of started bringing our machines up to date and. He really inspired the crew a lot uh, to, to say, like, okay, here's an expert among us. Um, even though, like any expert, he was learning. He felt like right. he was really, you know, getting tossed a whole bunch of stuff at once. But he had, uh, he had had history with it and finally was kind of, you know, able to get a lot of beans and really play with some stuff. And it pushed our, our owners um, to go ahead and get us a roasting center, like a warehouse where we could expand it and scale what we were doing to really have a chance to survive instead of like we were carrying all those bags upstairs for instance some of the coffee right. coffee bags are pretty heavy yeah <laughs> so it's like two guys trying to get each bag upstairs well that's great when you have three bags to five bags a week or something but now when we have like three times that it's you, you got to have these things come on pallets and we got to get somewhere first floor right right <laughs> the roll-up bay door right. and this and that and so that stuff pushed it. And I was actually working. We opened our downtown store around the same time. We opened, uh, we were in CSRA yeah, in Bossier for that. about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of other stuff going on. Well, then John gets this job up in New York City. Mm-hmm. So he is suddenly, there's this vacuum of, oh, well, our expert is gone. Right. What happens? And so in a series of events, I got thrown into it. And this is, I guess we're going on two years ago now. Okay. Um, where me and um, my coworker, uh, Ben, were just kind of handed this baby. It was like, we got to make this work. Right. And that's when my, I suddenly had opened, you know, helped open like three of our cafes and worked at all these other cafes. I was very used to a customer fronting, you know, event coordinating role. And now right. I'm like, okay, it was just me in the warehouse. Right. And... You know, just me and the coffee, and then now the machines, right. and this a total turnaround. But then I, that I would say the most I've learned is in the last little bit since then, because I've actually able to sit there and concentrate on what I'm doing. So walk me through, like, 
I don't know anything about coffee roasting outside of the fact that, you know, that's how that's yeah, it happens. <laughs> I, I know kind of where you are and what sure, you're doing, sure, sure. but not any detail about that. So just kind of the, you yeah. know, overview of, of like what the process for coffee, the, how, where do you find the coffee that, right. that gets sourced from somewhere? Yeah. Then so it gets to you. Then you, right. then you roast it. Then you put it and there's, I mean, if you're doing, you're doing two stores now. We, we, we have, plus we have our stores, but we, we have a large periphery of people that we help as well that uh, we'll do white labeling for, help okay. them develop their own things. Um, you and know, you also have coffee in the, uh, you know, in the grocery store. Yes. You, like, yeah. Well, we're working on that. You know, Whole Foods carries us, and they've been very friendly towards us. Um, but it, it is it is difficult to get um, to get heard by larger companies like Brookshire's and Kroger. Sure. Um, it's hard, you know. And we're we're working towards that. I'm hoping this next this next year for us is all about wholesale connections and quality within our stores and creating a larger brands and. Um, you know, get, getting our stuff under control. Whereas like the last couple of years have been like, everybody hold on. Right. Right. And we're doing our best. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, to answer your question, like, what is it? We, that is what we do in the lab is, is select what coffee we're doing. Um, it, that changes. Uh, we, one thing that had happened for a while was the similar types of coffee were being ordered over and over and over. And it was just, a, you know, kind of staples. Well, whenever I got in there, the first thing we did, uh, the first phase was we were having trouble with our wholesaler, mm-hmm. um, which I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of that. But basically, if you're not discerning the quality of what you're being given, they can give you anything they want. And through testing and kind of tracking trends, you know, first thing I figured out was, well, well they're not even sending us the same coffee every month right. or every week. You know, it's like they're yanking around what we're getting. Right. And so we changed from that wholesaler to a split between a couple of different ones. And then we've changed even since then. Um, and are having just regularly assessing the green coffee instead of getting just what they recommend saying, well, can I get eight versions of that Ethiopia? I don't want to try those. And like just this, yesterday I got in four different types of decaf um, and then a number of Costa Rican washed, like um, honey washed and a couple of, you know, like things that we don't carry right now. I mean, we carry decaf, but we'd like to carry two types of decaf, right? You know, things that dreaming beyond what we already have into what can we do next? What can we afford? What is our, what, what are our people able to appreciate? And then the main, the main new, new um, hurdle is how can we communicate the quality? Like if we're going to up what we're producing, if that isn't communicated to the customers through our staff, then it's can be wasted or not or handled wrongly by our staff. And so there's there's a lot to be said about keeping a small business going, especially when there's all types of machines that can malfunction and you know, I can I, I select the green coffee and we'll get it in and we can r- develop a profile for it and ra- roast it the way we want. Right. But then we might hand it to the store um, or to a client and they might brew it and let it sit there for 4 hours and be lukewarm by the time the, the somebody drinks it right. in some office somewhere and they think that's rhino. Right. So so when that when you when you get the coffee in mm-hmm. the process for that how long how long do you have it before you roast it and then how long before it goes to I mean, how long before someone drinks it? Drinks it? I mean, so that depends on demand, you know, what's going on with certain types of coffees like there's 
the, the general answer would be the coffee is going to be, if it comes into our warehouse, it's gone by the end of the month. Okay. So we'll never be housing green coffee longer than just a few weeks. Um, but green co- coffee can last like six months plus. Okay. Um, our roasted coffee, we roast on demand. So like people roast it on, they ask for it on Monday, they have it by Wednesday. Okay. And that's sort of the turn, like. Yeah. Typically, the, we, well, different roasters handle it differently. And of course, if you're, if it's for a uh, grocery store, mm-hmm. then maybe, you know, if we're sending to like some grocery stores in Lafayette, we can't be as in control of when they get rid of it right. as at, in our stores. Right. But our stores, the coffee that comes in that store is gone by the end of the week. Okay. So it's like a weekly, mm-hmm. like you're going to roast a coffee, to, uh, you're going to co- roast a coffee tomorrow, then that means it will be Most of the time, in it'll be in Monday, the store in a couple of days. And then gone by Friday. And gone by, yeah. Okay. It, it goes quick. And and we would love to be able to produce more than that, but there's a lot to be done, you know, and it, and freshness is important to us um, more than trying to roast ahead a whole lot or something like that, which right. some, some folks will do to, you know, keep a stock. Right. Um, but we're at, a, we're at a level now where we, we try to keep it, don't roast it until they ask for it. Right. You know, as, as often as we can. But we'll, there's restaurants uh, that we service and um, other coffee shops in other cities yeah. and things like that. And, you know, and some of the, some of what, what that also means is like if they don't want to just carry what Rhino carries, we'll develop something for them or let them be a part of that process. You know, it's really exciting whenever somebody has an idea in mind that they want to do and try to execute it. I actually, here, I actually brought you a sample. Oh. Uh, this is a good example. So I'm giving you, this is a local thing. Okay. Uh, Ellie and Chalk. Yeah. You know them? Yeah, yeah. So their owner wanted to have a coffee through the holidays and maybe beyond that was something he developed and was interested in to carry for themselves. So that is unique. That's, I'm giving it, that to you. That's Thank a, you. That's just a unique, uh, only for Ellie and Chalk partnership with Rhino thing. Okay. And so then it's he. That's an Ethiopian Colombian. Kyle will then have the, like you can go to Ellie and Chalk yep, and you can get this and then. He sold out last week, yeah. Okay, so and then you're gonna make some more of this up until, or this is it until well we'll make the batches probably through like the holiday through the holidays, holiday or, and then okay. he may switch it depending on its success. He may he know, may want to continue, yeah, and, and maybe switch it up or do something else. But I just mean that's something that he wanted. He came to us with the idea, mm-hmm. and we went back and forth. They brought him samples several times, and then that's what we came up with. And so that's a collaboration of his design mm-hmm. and our product for him. Fantastic, but, yeah. So things like that are, are really the exciting. shop blend. Um, and so, did you come up with this, or was it kind of it like you and Kyle together, like yeah, well, kind of going back and forth? I'll offer you know, you know, choices, and then kind of narrow down, and then offer another set of choices. Right. Um, this this one, he had an idea of kind of where he wanted it to go, mm-hmm. and so that's a good starting place, you know. Yeah, and then you and then you go a couple rounds from there. How long does it take to to roast coffee? It's not a well, long process, right? It's you know, ten ten minutes, ten to fifteen minutes is you know what we we're gonna have like with a production roaster and larger batches. Yeah. How um, how much is what's a large batch versus we a we small? roast in like twelve to fifteen pound batches. Okay. Our roaster will do thirty, uh-huh. um, but we I will never do that much. You know, you just don't have the same control. Your probes don't work the same way, and it's right. not being consistently heated. Okay, uh, it depends on what your quality of coffee is you know like very very cheap coffee you can roast it in huge batches and it's still going to be what it is but is that like a like a commercial like a community coffee or something like that they are roasting 
hundreds of pounds of that stuff batches, and yeah. then grinding it and putting it in a bag mm -hmm. and then sending it to the store. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, and there's the commodity roasters and large batch is a, it's a different conversation of what they're doing. Um, but it is just a different point being that smaller batches are as a way to have control of what you're doing. And, and also, if you mess something up, you don't mess all of it up. Right. Right. <laughs> and you've never messed anything up, I'm sure. Yeah. So... Yeah, we mess up all the time. And actually, I'm I'm obsessed with uh, faults in coffee. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've made my personal path. Everybody's talking about the benefits, of the, the the wonderful flavors within well roasted coffee, and you can buy that from. You know, there's regional roasters that are phenomenal. You can get coffee in that tastes amazing, but it's hard to know what specifically the faults are. And in my job, I'm just making, it's assessing green coffee for faults to discern which one we want out of those, which one we think is the best for the best price. But most every other decision you're making there is what's wrong with this comparatively. And so understanding the spectrum of what's available in the low end, you know, not many people are talking about it. I'm not saying no one is. I just mean that's, what, that's what's been of interest to me lately is, yeah, let's get on all the great coffees and we should roast that too, but we might not be able to actually serve that. Right. But I want to know even the lowest quality stuff that our person offers or a wholesaler offers, or maybe not the lowest quality, but like Robusta coffee has a real bad reputation. Everybody talks about Arabica coffee, Arabica coffee, as if it's like this rare thing. Right. But it's what everyone is drinking. It's right. everywhere. Yeah. And the Robusta, it, it does have less, it, it doesn't have the, the flavor that Arabica has, but what it, it is, uh, is resistant to insect damage and coffee blights and it produces twice as much and can be grown anywhere. And, you know, I mean, as far as the yield it brings and what it does for the farmers and the people, it's a lot more sustainable. And Arabica has taken over the world and, you know, eventually is going to have to have the same conversation as we're having with oil and gas. It was like, can, can this really keep up? Will it die off? You know, you're... you're yeah, you've mono. homogenized yeah. A, a, a crop, so, which then makes it susceptible exactly. to, like, if something happens... 100%. And really that has happened. If yeah. you follow the, you know... If you read about coffee history, mm -hmm. it is tied to the slave trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, very, very closely. All of its migration from East Africa to the South Americas and being exploited by the West. You know what I mean? There's the European history of coffee, but it's not nearly as dramatic as what's happened in the West. And like so much of Central America um, is built on what harvests happened, what wars happened, what, I mean, Brazil specifically is like incredible, you know, and it just, it's wild. The stuff that'll, the things that'll break out, certain people will handle it differently or their large fires and, and what that will do to the entire economy. Yeah. You know, and it's, all I'm getting at is it is a, it's really shaped the world and how people handle it. And so coffee, it's not just, it's not just, breakfast fodder yeah right yeah you can talk about it all day yeah you can talk about it all day <laughs> yeah and it's it's uh, it's fascinating because that's what i mean is this so a coffee that like robusta people talk about it like it's a bad guy mm -hmm. it's like okay sure it's not perfect but it does exist right and if we all if anybody people are only ever drinking arabica and only valuing fruit forward tangy citrus floral flavors um you know, eventually it, the, it, the cloud's going to move over something else and nobody's going to know what's next. Whereas like we have these 
all these other types of coffees that can be explored. It's just that the farmers and the people at origin will only separate their coffee based on how it's expected to arrive. You know what I mean? So if people are only buying Arabica, right? They're only the people who can are going to grow Arabica. Right. It's not that people only buy Arabica. Don't get me wrong. Robusta is the instant coffee market is flooded with it. But it's because if people aren't tasting for quality, you can make whatever you need. Is there good instant coffee? That's I. That's a, a loaded question. It is is instant coffee a bad thing? Bad. I don't like saying bad or good, and I really should. I should get away from that. But it is a different um, business model. Because what? How, how does how is instant coffee made? That's like a well, and when you when you dried speak, product, right? Well, and, and some of it is like micro ground. Okay, um, but which with, means when you add water to it, it it just it's a, well, one thing can be assumed about instant coffee or Keurig or anything like that is it was ground long before it gets to you. Okay, which is a different conversation in quality and freshness than whole bean coffee. Right, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, no matter what's going into it, it's already at a different set of standards, and it's more about packaging and convenience than it is about quality. So. It is definitely a convenience mm-hmm. product, and I and I there's there's a lot of value for it. I mean, like there's places that wouldn't exist if they didn't have their Keurigs. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I get it. It's not about that, but they're also not putting the biggest dent necessarily in what's being consumed because it is small quantity. You know, well, in a in a Keurig, that's a very small amount yeah. of coffee, and it's a single cup, which arguably is probably not the amount of coffee you need for that cup of coffee. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't know, but it's like, that's a little tiny. Like when you make coffee in a, you know, traditional coffee pot, right? You're, what is that? A couple tablespoons per cup of coffee. And then you look at a Keurig and it's like this little tiny sure. thing. I don't know how much is in there, but well, it seems like. Yeah. What you're talking about is like the extraction ratio of like the coffee and how much water is put through it. Right. Because cool. when you make coffee, the, the variables you control are mm-hmm. heat, time. Grind on size. ground in grind size those are yeah and you That's change really those things around to, to give you different properties mm-hmm. so yeah the so it's a finer grind and i i think it's it's it is dosed a little bit lower than like i guess the standards uh when you know like 16 to 18 is the sweet spot most people for most people is part water to coffee right um and i'm not trying to go down an instant coffee conversation here i just what i'm getting at is that I am interested in not just what's great, but what else is going on. You know, like decaf is something I've always had an interest in. Like, I got three new types of decaf in to taste this week because there's whole people. There's people whose whole life is around decaf coffee. Right. And until you know, ten years ago, even you couldn't find great decaf coffee anywhere. It didn't exist. Yep. Just because it wasn't being sought after, so it wasn't being, you know, developed. How how is what's what's the difference in uh, caffeinated and decaffeinated bean? Is there a organic property that's different, or they, is it just a different? They decaffeinate beans. So how, how do they? What does that mean? Do you know? Right, right. There's a couple processes. It's simple to summarize as like an evaporation. Okay. But they sell the caffeine to like soda companies. Okay, so they're taking the beans. They and take beans. So you do you take so you can send us a batch of beans to be decaffeinated. Okay. It's not it's not grown decaffeinated. Right. It used to be done with a chemical process. Uh, a lot of people like formaldehyde associated with it. 
now there's there's a Swiss water process is one that's popular, mm-hmm. um, but most of what's changed is not how they're decaffeinating it as what the higher quality coffees are being used for decaf. You can get much better you can get decaf, better decaf now than you green could. bean yes. coffee now than you could a while back. Um, and it's being stored better. You know, every step of the process matters. If it's separated as being good coffee up front, then it's put into a bag that's going to release less moisture over storage time. And so by the time it gets to you, it's fresher. If it's at the origin point considered low quality, it's not even going to be put in that type of bag, so it will worsen exponentially, you know. And so decaf used to be something that was assumed it was, you know, going to be bad already. So just didn't, people weren't separating it the same way. So could you make instant coffee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've made, we've made uh, K-Cups before with Rhino logos on them. Okay. And... But that's not. I'm thinking of more of that like, you mean the, like the stuff the that you just add water yeah. to. That's just we ground can't, up. We, we can't. We can't do that. That's yeah. That takes a, a specific kind of production to do it. Right. Okay. But all we're gonna do is get green coffee in, develop profiles for it, and roast it. And then any other innovation we're doing is what kind of coffee are we getting? You know how are we handling it. And then Woody, how do you deal with like what's your process for like quality control? Because if you make Mm-hmm. You know, Landon's recipe sure. t- number two, you can't sort of like change that to number three or four. You've It's got to be two the whole time. And that's that's beans and thyme that you're roasting them. That's kind of the variables you have to work with there. So yeah, quality is an ongoing conversation. And it is the monster I feel like that I'm up against in most areas of my life right now in coffee is, is quality. Like how to, how do you manage that quality for the roasting? We actually have it pretty under control. Um, because you know, if I were to be standing there showing you how our interface works, once we set a baseline for the heat, that's going to be added over time in a roast, the, the loring can follow that baseline pretty closely as long as we're keeping, you know, the rest of the variables the same. So we don't have to sit there and once we've developed a good baseline for something in a profile for a coffee, um, it can automate, as long as everything else is staying the same. What's what's at at Rhino when you're mm-hmm. like do you guys have you always roasted is there like a base like this is the thing we always and, do so and that's always the deal is do. that what's changing constantly is what is the bean. Okay. And we have I mean even a year ago everything was different. Every single bean we carried was different. And then okay. a year before that every single bean was different because there's different harvests. Mm-hmm. And our wholesalers are improving and they're getting new connections and I'm in in contact with the person I buy, we buy coffee from and we talk on the phone about it. You know, and he'll send me samples and I give him what I think back even if it's not something we're going to carry or it's way out of our price range. Mm-hmm. I'll give him what I thought about it. Like, you know, I know you're charging, you know, $10 a pound for that raw, but it's not worth it. In right. my opinion, right. I'm not saying I'm, you know, just want to let you know, or, oh, this stuff was, you know, I know you don't have, you're not valuing this, but we kind of thought it was interesting just to let you know. And I'd kind of like to buy a little bit of it just to play with or, right. you know, so having that communication leads them to want to send you more interesting things. And we have to make decisions pretty fast. So like our Columbia, for instance, recently, we were carrying one kind Well, they ran out of it. So we had to select a new one. And Columbia is a big deal to Rhino because it goes into our espresso and it's mm-hmm. on drip and it's our most sold 12-ounce bag. Um, so we can't just hope that the new one that they might recommend is good. Right. So I got a slew of samples. We have a new sample roaster now that's amazing. 
And so we, we roast all of them exactly the same. And sample roasters like a small, small, but smaller yeah, batch. Yeah, okay. and the purpose, the big distinction is a sample roasting. You're assessing the green coffee, so you want the roast to be the same uh, every every single time across across okay. all the coffees. Okay. And then once you've selected your coffee, you create a profile for it, which brings out the best of that coffee. Okay. Um, so having a good sample roaster is key because then you can't really assess your coffee correctly. You just have to kind of guess that you got each roast right. Right. Which that's what there's there's ways to do it, but I just mean. It's a big deal for us that we have a new sample roaster because now I can taste things, taste for faults like we went back to in a way that I couldn't before. Right. Um, and so we had to make a decision and then trust that decision for the next three months because, you know, say we bought eight bags of it or right. whatever it is, you know, because that's the other thing. If you only buy one and hope that you like it and you want to switch up again, you're switching up, switching up, switching up. You kind of got to know what you're tasting and commit and then work on bringing that coffee out because you got to move on to the next one. Like we carry you know, 10 or 11 different types of coffee at a time for certain uses. Yeah. I mean, like right now, if you go to Rhino right now, the, the coffee that you can buy, like give, give me a cup of coffee is mm-hmm. there's generally two that are, there'll be a medium roast and a dark roast on the drip. We're yeah. on the drip. And then, but coffee that you can buy to take home with you, mm-hmm. there's a larger variety. You have like four in there in general. Uh, no, there, there'd be, there's, there's probably nine varieties, nine or 10 varieties of it that can be bought in 12 ounces. And then, but in that store, also. yeah, okay, yeah, they'll sell quick. A lot of like the Ethiopia and the Kenya uh, stuff that maybe is more sought after, you know, get gets gets rid of quicker. Um, and the dark roast sits slightly longer, but eventually sell also. I say slightly longer. All of it sells in the week. I mean, we are okay. restocking. I went in there today and they were out, and I had to give them all that we'd made, and then it'll be gone. You know, and the holidays are tough to keep up with. Yeah, um, but we add new. Add new stuff, pull stuff. We had Congo for a while. Uh, now the one that we're very proud of is just these Ethiopians. Like we've been getting some cool stuff. It's hard to uh, it's hard to communicate it to the staff in time for them to sell it, mm-hmm. which is one reason that you'll you'll see that the drip. What's going on in the drip tower is not the most expensive coffees because you pour. We when it's not fresh anymore, we pour it out. Right, and so you don't want to be doing that with your really expensive stuff. What do you, how do you make like a, like a iced coffee or something like that? Like, cause is that a cold? The cold brew is a different recipe entirely. And, we roast specifically for the cold brew. And, and that's a, a pre-blend. And, and you basically are putting the coffee on cold water and letting it yeah. steep for it's a, a certain. coarser grind. Okay. Uh, longer time. Okay. And yeah. And in room temperature water. And when you, when you put heat into coffee, that's when everything starts chemically changing and your oils surface and you know there's you know what heat does it, right it, and so the point of cold brew is that you don't heat extract and it's over time so there's less surface area because it's a coarser grind right and the the it's not the oils just don't aren't released the same way that they are in but they do they are released it's just a it's over time and not well it's the, not the heat in general when you drink a cold brew it mm-hmm. has it's less it, it's easier for you. It's smoother because it's not as the acid and the oils haven't, they're not fighting. Like when you're drinking a cup of coffee, there's all these aromatics going on because the heat is, you know, how it changes whenever it's, when it makes solubles. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're, when you're tasting a cup of coffee, the flavors are coming from what are called like the finer solubles and the oils. But the, there's also insolubles floating around in there. Mm-hmm. that don't actually have, they don't contribute to flavor, but are what you perceive as the viscosity or the mouthfeel of it. 
Okay. So like a thicker syrupy coffee right. has more stuff insoluble floating in it. And then a really like like what we're drinking right here from more coffee is mm-hmm. is very bright and tangy and you know on the front of it and astringent. Right. Uh, and that's because the acids and you know the, where the flavor comes from is a different place is a different part of the coffee than where the how it feels comes from. And so cold brew is that's why it's so different is because it didn't there's not it's not as wild and going on. But you and one one reason for why it's a different roast that we use is because of that. Like if we were to put something that typically is meant for a heat extraction and try to use it for cold brew, it'll make an interesting flavor, but we might be wasting quality over time where that, that bean didn't need to be that type of bean to, to still get to this, a similar result because it's expected a lot of people are going to put milk in it or something else. Right. You know what I mean, they don't want like an acidic iced drink that's that same way. Cold brew is supposed to be, it's associated with chocolate flavors or the word bold or, you know, things right. that are more carbonized flavors. Um, and so it's just different, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. I like, there's a certain time of year, you know, when it's really hot outside or something, I prefer that kind of, but you know, like this coffee, who, who roasts this coffee? So this is Rev Roaster. Okay. Uh, they're, they're in Lafayette. Okay. Yeah. More coffee is what we're drinking here. They're in the back of Broadmoor Baptist phenomenal coffee shop carrying you know they bring great coffee to the architects they don't roast themselves but okay. they have an awesome cafe and they bring in different types of coffee and you know they're helping kind of spearhead people understanding what what this kind of coffee can be like okay and what's what where is this coffee shop it's on Yuri like you know so Broadmoor Baptist is across the street from AC Steer Park okay so behind Broadmoor Baptist you'll there's signs for it more coffee yeah. okay like in there's like a street mm-hmm. back there. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm. There's I don't know. What there's the another. Um, there's another. What's the other Baptist church on Uri? That's the Methodists. Oh wait, you're the other Baptist. Church. I think it's a Baptist church. Maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, closer to Kings Highway. Okay. Um, what is that church? I'm confusing the two churches. I think this one, the one that you're talking about. I'm trying to make sure that I'm thinking of the right, right one. Right. That's right by, um, right by the school. It's, it's by Ockley. Yeah. 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 And across okay. the street from AC. Yeah. There's Steer. another one down that road that I, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I was just making sure that I wasn't thinking the one that you're saying, and it's right, the other. Right. And you okay. go over there trying to find a cup. And you're yeah. Like, there's no coffee. There's shop no here. coffee shop. Yeah. Well, this is you know, it's called More Coffee. M O O R. It's for Broadmore. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they're, they're, has doing, it, they're doing great things. Has, it's been just a couple of years for that. And newer. Yeah. How long has it been there? I don't know, like the month they opened, but I would say two years. Okay. That'd be my guess. And you haven't worked. It's like the, the coffee shop you it's haven't worked at. the coffee shop at. I haven't worked at. I love it. <laughs> you there. love it because you've never worked there. I love it. Yeah. I, they have a great kids area um, and I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. So being able to just let So you guys go down to the yeah, coffee awesome. shop. And nobody asked me to work or do anything. <laughs> so you're just down there like drinking coffee and hanging out. That's right. It's so, my cafe. And then it's kid friendly. It is kid friendly. Really selling the more. Yeah, I love the, more the coffee. More. Uh, don't get me wrong. I go to both Rhinos typically every day. Yeah. And then and then they're like, "Hey, also. we need more of this," and you're like, "I got to get out yeah. of here. Go to more." Well, we uh, kids like if I bring my kids into downtown Rhino, I'm going to disturb some people. 
Why is that? I just mean that, you know, it's more of a place. They get all caffeined up in there, drinking. Yeah. They have a couple of espresso, and then they're. You, you know, you, you laugh about it, but my daughter will, will drink espresso regularly. And, and it, it's, I try to get her decaf. Yeah. But she, know, you know, she likes it. She's three. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing it. But right. when you're a roaster's daughter and you spend time around it constantly. Yeah. The Ethiopian uh, people give start their ch- kids at two years old, so I feel like I'm doing okay. Yeah, you've you've given them the whole extra year. Yeah, off. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so more coffee, and their coffee is not locally. Yeah. Roasted, but locally they bring roasted. it from. Yeah, so you're gonna talk about the local roasting scene. Yeah. Is small. Um, the the cat I know has been doing it probably the longest is Jeremy Boyenkamp. Okay. It's um, a good name. Yeah, yeah. So he roasts for Plantation Coffee. Okay. And he's been doing it, I mean, 10-plus years. Long, long time. Like, he was, like Naked Bean we are talking about? Yeah. He was supplying Naked Bean. Okay. To my knowledge. And folks like that. Like at the, I mean, he was producing coffee early on. Um, and they serve a lot. Like, it's based in Mooringsport. Okay. At Old Kiwanis Camp. Okay. The water there. And, and they're doing their roasting operation. They roast, yeah, they have, a, they have a building there that they roast out of. He is, I think it's just him, I believe. Wow. Um, but he's been doing a long time. Because when you're at work, mm-hmm. the, it's not just you. There's not just me. Okay. Yeah, we have a three-person team now. Yeah, which is with a couple of people who help on the side too. Is a lot. Yeah. Easier well, but something to that we do. Uh, oh, I don't, let, let me finish. Let me finish the list because Peter Lyons is not worth <laughs> skipping over. Right. Right. I think yes, I was going to ask. One of the best uh, best things to happen to coffee in Shreveport. And he is over in CNC. He is, but Peter Lyons has done coffee classes. I mean, he did them here in Cohab. Okay. He's been a, he, he doesn't, he, he loves produce coffee. He, he's about, he's evangelical about it. He likes talking about extraction ratios and yeah. water quality and has got folks who may have not thought about that interested in it. And he's a, a strong voice. He's roasting. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's, if it's for where he's selling it there. There's not like a cafe element yet. But I think that's something he's wanting to do. He, well, I mean, you can get a cup of coffee from him, but it's not, mm-hmm. um, it's not. You can't get it, it in Whole Foods yet, or, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. you know that kind of thing. But uh, but he is he is definitely part of the roasting community because of his outspoken way of you know that he's he's a spokesman for coffee and wakes up and talks about coffee to people. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> he definitely talks about coffee, Big and deal. he loved like yeah. And, the last time I saw him, he was wearing a coffee bean bow tie. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. As part was, of his what he's doing, he's a he's out there getting people thinking about. So coffee. if I can get you and Peter here at the same time, how long could you talk about coffee you know, before I'm people sure. are I like, I have he, no idea what right, they're talking right. about. Well, that, and that, that's the trouble is that what what's what side of coffee yeah. to, to talk about? And there's things consumers are interested in, and there's the scientific uh, stuff that goes on in the subroutines. You know, right. the stuff that you should be worrying about as a producer are different than what does the end consumer need to know so that's but i would love to i mean i think something like that'd be great that's three mm-hmm. of you is that yeah. so that's... kern is kern is still around mm-hmm. um and he you know I, I think of him as sort of the wizened old you know he, he's got plenty of that he that else that he does in his life so sort of he was making coffee when there was no coffee to be had right and now okay there's some stuff right. going on and it's less less of a you know the focus you can only do the farmer's market so long i guess yeah but he's definitely still around yeah, and there's other people who do home roasting but you know I, I would like to meet 
other forces in it to see. I know Jelk's Coffee is a thing. Okay. I've not met their roaster. Okay. Um, there's some, and then he was start talking about going on a wheel outside of the Arklatex. We can talk about other cities like Longview and Ruston, but you know, in our area, it's pretty much just just those few. What and is, then community is still the big dog. What who's not even and, from here? And where is yeah. community? And you're based out of Baton Rouge. I okay, believe. okay. I mean, New Orleans, Baton Rouge area, okay. but they reach into Oklahoma and you know, yeah, further are than just big, the state. Big coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and what they do is supply machines, and so that's the other side of the conversation is machines. And that's what Rhino does that not everybody else do, does do. And it's um, it's a strange relationship to have with places, which is like maintaining their machines for them or helping them. Like people bring us espresso machines that have had problems and we'll fix them for them. Even if they're not, I mean, we, we would like it to be a relationship with someone who's carrying our coffee so that we're not dedicating too much, you know, mental processing to things that don't. Right. Because it's hard to charge for repairs in, in, a, in a comprehensive way because, you know, yeah, things sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, there's parts to be considered and all this. Right. But we we deploy coffee brewers to a lot of places. Um, Maryland's place, you know, uh, Ralph's place opening. We do Jacqueline's, Well Fed. I could go down a long list of places that we not only do we supply them for coffee, but we put that machine in there, and if it breaks, we fix it. Okay. And is that what what when is? When I there... say we, I mean like there's three of us total. And it's mostly, you know. <laughs> right. Well, what does the machine look like? Does it look like the thing that you see in like a... Well, there's different types. Uh, it depends on what they need. You know, there's... We we mostly use Fetco uh, equipment. Okay. We use, we'll service some bun stuff, but it'd be like drip drip coffee towers. Yeah. Um, into pods. You don't want to do glass pots. Glass okay. pot is not a good way to serve coffee because it continues to heat it afterwards. Okay. Um, but so we're not going to put that out. Right. But we will do, you know, like a, like some of them are restaurants that need tea also. We supply their tea as well. And do you, you guys do some something with machines. tea or you just... We supply them with tea. Yeah, we carry iced tea in the warehouse as well. I have a connection we get it from. And, you know, we're, we're just... Typically, if you're buying coffee for your restaurant, you also need tea. Right. And so we learned several years ago, just have both. So they only need to... They have one delivery a week instead of... Well, because I, I talked to somebody yesterday that we were talking about tea. And this person was telling me that the, you know, they're are different kinds of tea, but that's the preparation of the leaf is sort of how you get different, like green tea. What you're talking about is a different type of tea than what I mean. I'm talking about iced tea, sweet tea. Okay. I got you. Like Like a a big bag that hot water goes over. That's always going to be a black tea. I got you. I got you. Yeah. What you're talking about is green, white, yeah, uh, and, this and, was and different oxidation process. Yeah, and like how that's you the upper room of tea. Right. Yeah. There the what there are people who know about tea, what you know about coffee, where it's like the preparation oh, yeah. of are this you talking about leaf. Johnson? Who are you talking about? Uh this guy I just heard this guy talking yesterday and uh he was saying that his wife had really gotten into mm-hmm. tea and that he wanted to start growing, you know, whatever he needed to make tea. And what he found out was the difference between like Rubios or mm-hmm. black or green tea, that's all the same leaf. Sure. It's just how you, yeah. when you take the leaf off the plant and you either bruise it, right? Yeah, oolongs are rolled, it. Are rolled maybe up it's tight. Oolong. And maybe that's what it which is put into cakes. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah it's, it's all of that is, is and you know, it's, we can talk about tea for a second because at Rhino, we just started carrying um, a whole leaf tea options. First time we've always had sachets. Okay. Like any coffee shop would. That's Stephen the Smith. little... Yeah, your typical... Little bag. Which you've seen a little yeah. bag of tea. 
Um, we, and we carried some pretty good stuff for that. But we've, we have now some whole leaf options um, that are actually produced in um, Mississippi. Okay. Which is a unique thing. There's not a lot of tea being grown in North America. And there's a phenomenal place growing it in Mississippi um, that we, we, we have two other types. Like there's what's like called um, like Black Magnolia, I think, which is a, you know, it's, it's like a black tea. It's right. not, not an Earl Grey. It's closer to like a, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to over-describe it because I'm not the best at communicating tea. But we right. carry a black and then a green whole yep. leaf teas okay. that are, you know, you get it in a glass little teapot that's similar to French press. Right, um, and then you can you can put water on that several times and still get you know quality extraction. Like it's it's different. That's the difference between an instant tea market and a whole and, and that's tea instant tea being the stuff yeah. that's in the bag. Exactly, it's very but sort I mean, of ground. Yeah, so you think about that when, we're, when we go back to where we're talking about the K cups. You know, that's finely ground, more surface area, and it's been stored longer. Right, and it's more for convenience. So that is different than a whole leaf that has been preserved and packaged well and is slightly more expensive, but has a higher yield, more, more, you know, it's fresh, it's fresher, fresher. it's fresher, but it's fresher because it was better at first. Anyway, you know, there's a different application for it. And that's the, at Rhino, the Mm. tea that's whole leaf is coming from Mississippi. So it's, it's not local, but it's, it is as a lot more local than anybody, any tea, anybody else's drink. Okay. So much of it has grown across the world. Right. Um, which is great. I'm mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of it, but we we thought was special um, about this. And and Garrett Johnson, I mentioned his name. He's just been a, a, a advocate for tea here mm-hmm. in the Arctic for a while, and he'll he'll do tea classes. Okay. Was, um, he was the one who kind of has been helping us curate and get our our stuff where it's at, and saying he's like, you should carry this stuff, right? Because I mean, we could. There's a lot of great teas we could get, but this is really supporting a neighbor who is, you know. Growing it right one state away, and right. it's phenomenal. Like, it's really, really good. Um, so it's a jump for us. It's a new trial. It's something we'll see if it works, if our people want it, you know. Yeah. Um, there's not really many places you can go for whole yeah, leaf tea. I, I don't know. I'm not a big tea but person. A lot of but... it, exactly. And it's a, thing, it's a thing that can be done at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't require the cafe. But I think it has a place in the cafe. Yeah. And that's ultimately the decisions we have to make as far as our stores go are what – what's happening here and what makes sense here, right. not just what do people like in general. Right. So you can go crazy trying, yeah. trying to satisfy that. Well, I mean, that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's like each one of those roasts that you're talking about. I think there's a tea equivalent mm-hmm. sure. where there's, um, and also we, and teas had a lot longer of a history. Yeah. It's, um, than coffee. I, there was, uh, a lady here, recently who's English and we were talking Julie Lasseter and we were talking about tea and she was saying it's very hard to find mm-hmm. like tea here being someone who is English like oh, yeah. I have a tea that I like I have a way I want to make it and she just is like Makes so I was I was trying to encourage her to teach a class so people could yes. could get into that's true into tea but at, you know at the end of the day something like that is going to be determined by what people want yeah not just what what is out there? Yeah. You know, I would love it if we had a, a a place here where coffee was being done only in pour overs and in really high quality scenarios. But the volume will always dictate otherwise. What's the advantage of pour over versus? It's just a controlled so, extraction for one experience instead of a larger batch for for multiple for multiple. It's your and and you can afford to have higher quality coffee because um, 
you know, if you're making it just for one person, you can price it just for that. Whereas there's, there's no waste, right? You're making it for them fresh right there. And that's the, like, it's ground right then. Mm-hmm. And then it's brewed and then you drink it. That's and, right. that's, and that's, and I don't, it should always be ground right then, no matter what size. It's but like. I'm saying like, if you go and ask for a drip coffee, it may have been made right. 15 minutes sure, before. Sure. Okay. So, um, what do you, what do you do? This is sort of ancillary. I've always wondered this. What happens to all those grounds? Like, what do you guys do with them? The spent grounds? Yeah. Uh, w- like, I see sometimes, like, there they're, will be They're big, donated is what it comes down bag. to. Yeah, do they go to... There's a variety of places. Uh, the up, Uptown store keeps all their pucks, and people pick them up for, like, their gardens and yep. things like that. Um, in the roasting center, we, we spend... I mean, we have probably 40 pounds of, um, of just waste beans a week, um, which is a good bit spatially. And if you were to put that in the trash can... It gets pretty heavy quick. Right. So I, I donate all of our chaff, which is like the byproduct of roasting, and our spent grounds to a friend of mine who has a composting project, Jacob Mauser. Oh, I know Mauser. Mm-hmm. He's a, he does Part some of cooking. my deliveries, yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic cook. And uh, he's also a mushroom enthusiast. I, I, he, I actually saw him... You get Jacob Mauser here ago. to talk about mushrooms, you'll, you'll just leave wide-eyed. I mean, he's got yeah, some knowledge. Yeah, he knows. Like, I saw him at... I was at Key and he was there. He brought some mushrooms over and they were talking about them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he must have talked about mushrooms for like That's the right. whole time he was eating lunch. Talk about what you love. He was he was talking about yeah. these mushrooms. The uh, and so so point being, guy likes mushrooms. He's got a composting operation, right? so I donated to him. And until he part of my my deliveries is I bring it over there and I put it over there and I I just go ahead and just add it to the the pile myself. It to the, uh, so. What do you, what do you, what, how big's this pile at this point? It's, it's getting, you know, it's getting there. It's nothing incredible. I have weird dreams of like a large composting operation, mm-hmm. which I, I've even, I get obsessive about things. I like solving problems, even if it's not our business's problems, yeah. you know? And so I'll just like make a game plan for an idea. And I have, I have, for anybody who's really interested, I have a, a three point plan on how you can make a massive <laughs> composting operation. What's, and actually save money. What what you mean? Like, like for instance, for the city they rip up all like, of the flowers yeah. out of every uh, you know shopping center a couple times a year, mm-hmm. and then have to pay for disposal. Right. And it's like you start putting stuff like that, and spent um, you know wood chips and things that are from mulching. And you start adding all that together with things like coffee, and you could have a very usable operation. That I'm mean, not. I don't know. It's it's a valuable thing. It just takes dedicating space to it. And people disposing things there, just like at your house, until you choose to really start composting, your stuff's just going in the trash. Right. Um, but when you start separating it, you actually decrease trash um, and and then create something that's new in its own way and valuable. So you're going to incentivize everybody to... I would love that. ...to give you their Yeah, their it's like spent. we could have the right space. Because then you, you don't have to even... It's not everybody you need. It's the, the people who are getting rid of tons of it at a time. You know, like, like if I were to try to get all of the coffee that we roasted, all of our stores, every single puck from every espresso shot, and then give it to Bowser, mm-hmm. that'd be a headache. Yeah. But the fact that I'm already throwing 40 to 50 pounds of it away a week. Right. Is like, oh, how about I just put it in this container instead? And Does that any... little choice right there is a lot of, a lot of value for him that he couldn't get otherwise. You know what I mean? Do you have chickens over there yet? No, no chickens. That's, a, that's like, that's part of the compost, like... You know, some kind of the nitrogen sure. element of, they, of the They compost. do hang out a lot. You're right. Yeah. And and that there was, a, I saw something recently. It was about um, this couple that had, the, I don't know 
where I saw it, maybe like a Netflix thing, or, mm-hmm. but maybe you've seen it. It's like this couple and they, they go get this dog and the dog's barking all the time and they're living in Los Angeles and they move up north like an hour and they, they start this farm and it's about, hmm. they're like, they don't really know what they're doing, but they get backers to be like, hey, we want to do this and people gotcha. like back them and they, this guy comes in and says like, the first no, thing you need to do, the first thing you do is you compost you start composting everything and then you put and then you grow trees and then you grow and it's like each thing like every time they get something done there's a setback it's it's similar to i'll put this and i don't want to go i know we're going down a road here but you consider it to how bait works in the fishing industry everybody wants the fish that comes on their plate right but who's out there growing bait you know in louisiana there's crises of shortage of bait you know people had to invent new types of bait to even catch fish, you have to have bait. Right. And it's like that with compost. Like, unless there's somebody who focuses on making a lot of compost, we're never going to have rich soil, you know, like because yeah. we're, it used to be a natural thing that happened, but we're always raking our lawns now. And we're always, there's just yeah. things that happen where we, it, it makes that process not be able to happen, you know. Yeah. That same stops. person that I was, that I heard talking about tea was saying that's part of his, his operation was, you know, he's doing, he, he's gone through a couple iterations, mm-hmm. but at this point he's like, you take the cardboard, Try you know, like used cardboard ground, yeah. and you, you put it down and then you put wood chips and your hay or whatever above that. And then it becomes an ecosystem, right. which is, is essentially forest floor, which we have taken which away taken and away. put grass on, which keeps the, right. you know, it's, it's this thing like, oh, that looks nice. Yeah. But if you were to grow the forest floor, it will look nice. It will also, you'll also be able to grow. I don't know. I'm sure we need John Paul in here to, right. to like go, oh, but also this, this, well, this. Just, but you're right. It's the same thing. You know, it's, so you got to create the environment, establish the environment so that it can thrive on its own. Right. Um, and instead of always having to supplement what's lacking. Right. And I'm not going to say I'm some enthusiast for that type of stuff. All I mean is that I'm not going to throw our grounds away if there's somebody if so somebody can, can use it, somebody can use it. I'm gonna bring it over there. Yeah. And there's a long time where I'd be like, sure, we can give it to you. And people be like, oh, I need some. And then they come get 10 pounds of it, or maybe they need 100 pounds of it total. Or but then we'll t- we'll overtake you with how much there right. is. <laughs> right. Because uh, I remember like used to. I don't know if you still do this, but there would be like you know yep, the they still do it. Pucks and those like, are, those and are they the just set them out and they're like, hey, right. please take whoever these. wants it. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and they they do go. People do they do do that. Yeah. The where as far as our waste goes, like the the jute bags that the coffee comes in, mm-hmm. we donate, and then all of the the byproducts of the roasting we donate, and the coffee gets drank. Yeah, so it's pretty good for a low waste operation. It's, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's so. The most waste when you talk about that would be your prepackaging, like Keurigs, if yeah. you're doing that, or your how are you packaging? How are you packaging? Which is one reason we're not interested. It's not on the front of our minds to make smaller batches of things like a K-cup. It's how do we make larger connections? You know? right. How do we affect more people than just one household at a time? Yeah, that's... Rhino <laughs> is, a, is like a whole ecosystem. It's right. pretty, like, if you start to, you know, again, we'll go down a rabbit hole. But it's like, that's, you know, you start it as one thing. Now it becomes two things. And if it can sustain itself exactly. and then like it, it can be, that could be a very big part of this place and the culture of the place. And, yeah. and I, my conviction for what's next for Rhino is 
for us to be able to be a voice of quality. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we just kind of keep up, and we have a lot of turnover, and you know, it's it's hard to maintain quality when you have a lot of turnover and you don't have time to invest in people. You know right. I mean? It's just that's the nature of a cafe. Yeah. Um, but we're establishing one of the, one of the, the people that were that we just hired or you know that we're working on anyway is the whole role is about quality assessment, not just with how people are preparing drinks, but coming behind me on what's the coffee taste like and establishing language for how can we communicate what we what we're doing here to the customer. How can we put the words in the mouths of our employees and let them have a better understanding of what they're presenting? And then also be a service to smaller cafes, places that are trying to open and buy, you know, espresso machines that need training that aren't going to be Rhino, but just need some training. Right. Well there's not a place you can go for that. You gotta go to Dallas. And even then one place is different than an ongoing relationship. Right. You know, or somebody you can kind of call on for a question or oh our, our machine broke or you know so we know that in the end, it's not just going to be about our stores. Like what, what Rhino Coffee Labs is, which is what I work for, is a place that has to help a lot more, a lot more folks than just us. You know? and, and some of how we're helping ourselves is by insisting that we have to get our quality up. Right. Or else we're not really, we're just getting by. We're not, big, we're not pursuing excellence, like, which is what needs to happen next. Do you have any, like, the food system mm-hmm. over at the rhinos is that like who's developing that is there like someone That's, in charge of that sure or? i mean our our owner uh has a lot of say in that andrew mm-hmm. yeah there's the food is mostly untouched since we since we started the restaurants there a few sandwiches have come and gone but it's yeah. relatively the same menu and that's actually something that they're in development on a new update for right now um it's harder ship to turn the food than the coffee Yep. Because you can get the same ingredients all the time. Yep. So there's, unless the customers demand something otherwise. Well, and you guys make, you make your salmon? Yeah, oh, we smoke you, our own salmon. Like you... A lot a of it is, of... is really, you know, hands-on. All the pastries are, you know, made, you know, scratch in the morning. And yeah. They're... The, the, the crew that makes the food is doing the best that they can for a cafe. Like, it's, it is difficult to feed a lot of people out of a small kitchen that also bakes, that also smokes salmon, right. that also, you know, and especially because people that come to a coffee shop aren't sitting down necessarily for a, a long meal experience. They're grab and yeah, go. And they're, or they're in a hurry. They're in a they're, hurry, they're, yeah. yeah. And so you kind of have to keep items that work for that. Or like downtown, it's been amazing to watch. And this is what, if I were to say, that coffee shops, are it is what the neighborhood wants most of the time. Right. The coffee shop is always going to end up being similar to what the neighborhood needed. And downtown has very different needs than the South Highland store we have. Just like whatever our next location is, we'll have a different set of needs. And we will try to keep our brand across it, and we're doing our best that we can for that, which advertising helps to reinforce that and similar menus. But, like, downtown has alcohol. Right. Uptown doesn't. Right. And downtown has the jurors are a big deal. So like they get out of a case at the courthouse. They have one hour right, or something, you know, and so they come over. We have to have all that food to all those people right then right, so they can get back. And so for a coffee shop that's been serving a little bit across the hour and then suddenly a bunch right now, how do you schedule for that? Right. You know, those are the types of challenges we're learning, and there's not a handbook for that. It's yeah. what, what is downtown Shreveport? Even if you were to try to answer that question, it just changed. Because there's new buildings opening. There's new groups of people. You know, when I worked at the Robinson, 
I'd stand there in the cold valet and looking across at the Sears building like, man, those abandoned buildings are pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to climb up the fire escape to get in them. Yeah. And then now it's like there's a lady who sweeps and mops every morning. Yeah. And there's a neighborhood developing. Yeah. Right on it's, top a, of it's a whole, yeah. you know, it's ecosystem there that, that wasn't before. And exactly. I think, you know, as a as a place we we tend to to think oh downtown is something that you know it's just it's you know that's an empty building that's an empty it's like wait a minute like back up just like you're yeah. saying like those buildings were empty they are now inhabited that's right like and if we can keep going forward at a certain level it's like you can't we have a very big downtown we yeah. we can't never fill it all back up and unless we have many more people than we have here now and it's sure. you know our trend is sort of flat. We're not gaining a bunch of people, but maybe we could tell people, Hey, we've got all this space. Come over here. What's cool about downtown and our population related to our downtown is that it doesn't need more people in Shreveport to be a, a functioning downtown. There's a lot of people in Shreveport. Yeah. It's just giving them reasons to come downtown. Right. And, and, and feel like, um, I talked to uh, Madison Poche about this yesterday. We were talking about the Shreveport Common and how she watched that you know, so sort of project develop for mm-hmm. years, years, and then and then it happened, and she would get to go to work, and she would see, oh my God, look, there's like children in the right. park. There's people doing yoga. There's like they're using it, right. whereas three weeks ago people would be like, I would never go there, and now they. You know, it's a learning experience of like, it's not what you think it is. Come and see for yourself. And that is sort of a, a thing I think collectively all over yeah. Shreveport, Bozier, North Louisiana, we could sort of have it, a little yeah, bit takes, more of it like, takes time. let's try that yeah, and see what time. happens. You know, um, I mean, I trust downtown Shreveport, actually. I don't, I've, I've n- never been much of a doubter of it, yeah. um, but I've been to other cities, uh, spent a lot of time traveling, which will kind of demystify local doubts yeah you know, we have a phenomenal downtown it's beautiful yeah. anytime i come back in from an out-of-town trip i look at you know i, don't, I love it yeah. i like our skyline i think it's diminutive in a charming way mm-hmm. um, but it's a big place you go downtown you feel like you're there yeah it, it is a place it is a place um and i like the riverboats i don't necessarily like what they necess- but, stand for in all but, ways but i'm just saying there's not every not every city in america can you drive over your over your river and see a, a riverboat yeah, and, and like a bunch of commerce happening there. You know, sure. like it's if you look at where you know in the '90s where it was like we might get this thing, and now we've had it for a, a long time. And people, you know, locally, it's like if you are from Las Vegas, you're like, ah, that's a, that's a convention center, and those are gambling sure. establishments, and then that exactly. you know, like that's what that stuff is. I still live my life. I go to work every day, and mm-hmm. it's not. You know, you're not spending your all day in a casino or whatever. But, it, hey, on Thursday night, well, you know, Landon's going to play a show right over here. And then you, you go and, you, like, you send them saying The missing it's element, like, I think, that most people, uh, they, they're getting at, but they, they don't quite get to, is that, it's that there's reasons for multiple generations to come downtown now. Yeah. Like, it used to be that it was a partying district closer to the river. And then there was the rest of the business centers and the church down there. Right. And then, you know, but like Festival Plaza, all of it is connotations if you go downtown to party. Yeah. Uh, and now we're starting to have more of the live 
lived in people who exist there right. and they're going to sleep there tonight right. and kids can come down there. Like it's not weird for me to bring my daughters downtown and us walk around. There's things to do right? Um, or there's increasingly things to do. Right. And when you can get the whole family down there and there's reasons to bring school buses and there's stuff like that. Yeah, stuff to see. Stuff to like see you and can... do. Then you, then you get the whole town over there and not just the people who are pioneers of culture. Right. It's a destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making it that. So speaking of downtown problems, my parking yep. is about to expire. All right. Well, <laughs> next time you come, we will talk about music. How about Perfect. that? Perfect. Landon, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.